Now, we've all heard from other healthcare professionals and we've all heard in the general media about how CrossFit's so dangerous and don't do CrossFit, you're going to get injured. But somehow, all of you, um, when you first heard of CrossFit or saw it, you said, hey, there's something important here and I'm going to do it and I'm going to recommend it for my patients. So let's start with that. Just what was it about CrossFit that um, didn't scare you away like it has a lot of other medical professionals? Yeah, for me, it was the results. I always had, I played a lot of sports growing up and I had tons of back pain, scared to death to do a deadlift, a squat, anything heavy at all. And then several of our colleagues started doing CrossFit and instead of getting injured, they got a lot healthier. They started moving better. They shed a ton of weight. They took their shirt off a lot more. Um, they were excited to do that. So then I decided to try it and suddenly my back doing deadlifts, all the posterior chain stuff felt way, way better. And it was, it was really a paradigm shift in healthcare, understanding better movement leads to less injury, not more. Hello, and welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. In this week's episode, I am sharing the first of six panels I had the opportunity to host on behalf of CrossFit Health at this year's CrossFit Games in Madison, Wisconsin. This particular panel was on the topic of CrossFit and injuries, which can definitely be a sensitive one, but I was grateful to be joined by a diverse group of experts who've been serving the CrossFit community for years. And they were orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Sean Rocket, physical therapist and co-founder of the Ready State, Dr. Kelly Starrett, physiatrist, Dr. Amy West, and chiropractor and Rossi chief medical officer, Dr. Jason Garrett. We sat down to talk about what initially drew each of these panelists to CrossFit when some of their colleagues might've said it was dangerous, how the risk of injury in CrossFit compares to other sports, the risks and benefits of exercise, the most effective recovery modalities, and a lot more. I also really enjoyed their ideas and conversation around how we can change the perceptions of CrossFit in the medical community as a whole. This panel was originally published on CrossFit.com on September 7th, but I'm excited to share it here with all of you. And make sure you stay tuned for the other five panels on chronic disease, wearables, cancer, genomics, and pregnancy, which will be posted in the coming weeks and months. Now, before we dive into the episode, I do want to make it clear that this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. I recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. So with that, let's get to the panel. I am so excited to be here today for this panel, kicking off this week of exciting panels for CrossFit Health. And we are starting talking about CrossFit and injuries, which I know is a hot topic, but we're going to talk about it. And I am so excited to be joined by these four lovely professionals here today who all have a lot of experience in this area. So I'm going to introduce them to you now. To my left, I have Dr. Sean Rocket. Sean is a board-certified orthopedic surgeon. He's a senior partner at Orthopedics New England with a subspecialty in sports medicine. He completed his medical degree and residency at Tufts University, and he's also the head orthopedic surgeon on the CrossFit Games medical team, as you may know him from, um, and a CrossFit Level 1 trainer. So that's Sean. We have Kelly Starrett. Kelly is a co-founder of The Ready State, a virtual mobility platform that helps athletes and everyday individuals improve their range of motion and prepare for any challenge life throws their way. He's also the co-author of multiple best-selling books, including Becoming a Supple Leopard, which I enjoyed reading while I was in med school. Um, Sorry. <laughs> the co-founder of San Francisco CrossFit, which was the 21st CrossFit affiliate. And he consults with pro athletes and coaches, corporations, and elite military forces. 
Then we have Dr. Amy West, who is a board-certified sports medicine physiatrist. She works at Northwell Health in New York and treats a wide variety of medical conditions affecting the nervous and skeletal systems by focusing treatment on addressing root causes and restoring function. She's a graduate of Harvard Medical School and completed her residency in physical medicine and rehabilitation at Spalding Rehab Hospital, also a level one trainer. She sees many parallels between medicine, the medicine she practices in the clinic and the CrossFit methodology she sees practiced in affiliates. And then finally, we have Dr. Jason Garrett, who is the chief medical officer for Arosti, a medical practice that uses soft tissue treatment and manual therapy to provide relief for musculoskeletal and joint pain. He completed his chiropractic training at Texas Chiropractic College. And for years, you may know, Arosti has partnered with CrossFit to provide care for CrossFit Games athletes, affiliate owners, coaches, and everyday affiliate members. So first of all, just round of applause for getting these four people together for this panel. Um, this is, like I said, a hot topic. And I feel like we are lucky to have all four of you here. Um, we have you know, an orthopedic surgeon, a physical therapist, physiatrist, chiropractor, who have all been treating CrossFit high-level elite athletes as well as everyday individuals in the boxes for many, many years. Um, and so I'm excited to dig into this topic with all of you. Now, we've all heard from other healthcare professionals, and we've all heard in the general media about how CrossFit's so dangerous and don't do CrossFit, you're going to get injured. But somehow, all of you, um, when you first heard of CrossFit or saw it, you said, hey, there's something important here and I'm going to do it and I'm going to recommend it for my patients. So let's start with that. Just what was it about CrossFit that um, didn't scare you away like it has a lot of other medical professionals? Anyone can start. <laughs> I, I, could, I could start. Um, so after uh, my, I had a few kids, I was starting to get a little chunky and I was at a health club and just riding a bike and doing biceps curls and just thinking there's got to be something better. I found CrossFit. The variability is really what I enjoyed a lot of. And then, of course, the tribe, the tribal aspect, the community, uh, you know, being able to work out with your friends, with your buddies. That's sort of what, what I found the biggest attraction for me. Yeah, for me, it was the results. I, was, I, always had, I played a lot of sports growing up, and I had tons of back pain. Scared to death to do a deadlift, a squat, anything heavy at all. And then several of our colleagues started doing CrossFit. And instead of getting injured, they got a lot healthier. They started moving better. They shed a ton of weight. They took their shirt off a lot more. Um, they were excited to do that. So then I decided to try it. And suddenly my back doing deadlifts and all the posterior chain stuff felt way, way better. And it was, it was really a paradigm shift in healthcare, understanding better movement leads to less injury, not more. Yeah, for me, uh, I'd played team sports my whole life. And then at a certain age, you hit a certain age, and then it's time to just get on the treadmill and do that repeatedly. So I found that I was not... Uh, just didn't excite me the way the team sports had. So when I found CrossFit, I found a community. It was a great way to uh, connect with other people. But also as a physician, CrossFit is very data-driven. And as physicians, we're nerds about that. So um, being able to see, re see results, also learn new things as an adult is really nice um, and do things that I never thought I could do. So um, all of those things put together, in addition to the focus on function. So as a physiatrist, I'm a doctor of function, um, and that seems that's the basis of CrossFit. So it all appealed to me. I discovered uh, CrossFit my first semester of physio school in 2004, and it was like finding the unified field theory. 
because there was such a gap between the squat table or the squat rack and the treatment table. And like the conversations that we were having as physios had nothing to do with the kinds of training or the kinds of experiences I had as a national team athlete or what I knew about training the Olympic Training Center. And all of a sudden, what I found out was I wasn't very skilled. I certainly had big holes in my fitness. And suddenly we had a kind of a complete program to really understand what was happening because there's no place not to express normative basic range of motion CrossFit. And what we found was that it was the perfect tool we can make the stimulus for adaptation, also the diagnostic tool simultaneously. And that, instead of kind of waiting till something broke and then having someone not know you, we can understand what's happening in real time and minister that. And so incomplete range of motion, tissue health, sleep, all of those things suddenly became the bedrock of my practice because our results were insane. Love it. Well, we know that nothing in life comes without risk. And there is still, even though CrossFit is amazing and helps us regain a, or gain a lot of fitness, there is still a risk of injury with everything that we do. So can you talk about what that risk is and how it compares to other types of sports or training? Yeah, I mean, I'll start. I think the risk of not doing something like CrossFit is a lot worse because you've got diabetes, you've got hypertension, all the other things that go along with it. You start having fear avoidance of certain movements. And generally, the more you don't do something that requires full range of motion with some resistance, the worse you get over time. So you're going to end up with severe dysfunction. You're not going to be able to do things you want to do. As you get older, you're going to lose your balance. And so, yeah, there's a little bit of risk. It's you're lifting heavy weights, you're moving quickly, but if you do it under control, still a little bit of risk of injury, but it far outweighs the downside of not doing it. Yeah. As, as a medical community, if our biggest issue is that people are getting injured doing exercise, we're in a pretty good state as a, as a, as a society. So that's one thing that I, I emphasize people who are anti-CrossFit. If the alternative is sitting on the couch, um, I would much rather people be moving and using their body. Um, in addition to that, the data shows that actually um, in, uh, injury rates are approximately 3.1 per 1,000 training hours, whereas something like running can have a, a rate of almost nine per 1,000 training hours. So when you think about it, actually doing uh, CrossFit using your body multiple different ways is actually better than just a unimodal type of exercise. I think we could do... Uh, agree with everything you guys have said for sure. But I think that sort of sets the bar low and sort of gives people on the outside ammo because we're not defining our terms a little bit. So injury for us, according to the Nagi model of disability, means I can no longer occupy my role in society, can't do my go to work, do my job, occupy my role in my family. That's an injury. And that's where we're seeking medical attention, medical help. Everything like a sore knee or my back is a little sore, my shoulders achy, that is not an injury. That is in what we call an incident. And we have been real disingenuous in our culture about how people are running around in pain anyway as a normal experience. And pain does not mean injury. Pain does not mean tissue trauma or damage, right? It's a request for change. So let me ask the crowd here, how many of you would describe yourselves as pain-free? Raise your hand if you're still able to because your shoulders... So look, there's not a thing like these old guys up in the corner. Eric, you're actually wrapped in bubble tape. You're 12. But what we're seeing is that people have been self-medicating and addressing their incident-level problems with ibuprofen and Ambien and, and THC and Adderall and any way to self-soothe, right? And we're even seeing a rise in epidemics right now and opiates again. So for the first time, we actually can shift this ownership of, hey, something is achy or doesn't feel good, and we can actually go after it right in the, 
in a topical manner on the spot. And most of the best gyms on the planet now have physios, have chiros. There are physicians working out next to you. So we can jump on those incidents before they become long-term health problems. The other thing around CrossFit I think is misunderstood is let me redefine CrossFit a little bit. Here we have this position and these are normal normative functional ranges that everyone agrees that I learned how to memorize from all the physios and all the, 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 the doctors. And what we're really saying is, can you maintain this position under all of these different conditions, under cardiorespiratory demand, metabolic demand, load speed, et cetera? So what we're really doing is saying, hey, are you a skilled person? Can you maintain these positions under varied skill sets demands? And what we see is that people are unskilled or unable to maintain that, they start to compensate. And that's the hallmark of when we have lost the stimulus for adaptation. So watching people work around a problem, if I say to you, you've got six hours to move these three tons of rocks, you'll get it done no matter what, right? But we can go in and suddenly understand what we're seeing in the training environment as, hey, I see that you've lost your positional capacity, let's back off, let's reset and see if we can continue to challenge your ability to maintain these positions, which means we wanna make errors, we wanna make compensations. So. If people are going crazy through that, underrested, not in a tribe, never have an experience, previous orthopedic injury, poor genetics, of course we may sensitize them, but that's not the same thing as injury. And just the, uh, just the, the bonus or the benefit of weightlifting that a lot of people haven't done in, in their middle ages, you know, if they weren't on a sports team, the benefits of weightlifting far exceed any sedentary activity when it comes to bone health, osteoporosis, mental health, the uh, treatment of, you know, just having hypertrophy, having muscle, obesity issues, just the benefits far exceed. And if we're, I think we all agree that we should be teaching people how to do it uh, moderately to start, and then they can improve their intensity. But the benefits of weightlifting at a moderate or intense level uh, far exceeds sedentary type activities. That's a great point. I want to expand on that a little bit further. So recognizing that we do have risk in everything that we do in life of having incidents, having pain, and eventually having injury, what are some of the ways that we can, as individuals, be smart about mitigating that risk, um, and then as a larger CrossFit community, or as a gym owner, or as a trainer? Uh, I think from an orthopedic point of view, I think if you can, um, the coaches are are really the gateway. They're the, I don't want to say the sales force, but people are sort of coming to a CrossFit gym and they're putting their foot in the water and they're sort of interested, curious, they've heard things, they've seen things, and they have to really sort of welcome the, welcome the athlete, welcome the client and say, you know, we really want to care for you and we want to make sure this is a, a safe program. We've heard about, you know, we, we've had hundreds of thousands of people come through the gym and we've learned and, and I think I think if we're, I'm glad we're talking about it, you know, to talk about it is to help the world prevent what we've seen. And I think we've seen maybe some intensity, maybe some people who are trying to emulate games athletes who maybe shouldn't, but starting very slowly and it building up and the building up can be tremendous. And I think we've all seen the tremendous gains that people can get from that. But I think having the coaches, which they do, uh, tell people, you know, that we're going to go slow with this, we're going to bring in and we're going to take it easy and then build up, I think is important. Sure, I think sticking with process charter, mechanics, consistency, intensity, and going in that order. Um. Yeah, just the only thing I'd add to that is there's no games athlete out there right now that hasn't mastered the basics. And I think so many of us see something like, I can do that. 
if you can't squat well, if you can't do an air squat really well, if you can't do a, a strict pull-up, you probably shouldn't be doing a muscle-up. And those, all of us here want to get to that next level so quickly, I think we lose a little bit of patience, and that's where those injuries and the pain and the extra dysfunction starts kicking in. Um, but every athlete out there that you know, one, they're extremely humble, like yourself, Julia, getting to that point in your life where you're one of the best in the world, all your movements have to be really good, your foundations have to be solid, and you have to be humble enough to ask for help and realize you didn't get there by yourself. There's a lot of great coaching on the way. Check, check your ego at the door and maintain uh, and have, make sure the coaches are also <laughs> make, sure the, make sure the coaches are also keeping that in check. I think there's two things. One is that we're finding that a population owned an affiliate for 15 years. We're finding that a population is poorly prepared for a formal strength conditioning program. They've never been exposed to full range of motion. They've never put their arms over their head. They've never done that when they're breathing hard. And so what we see is that people don't know how to eat. They don't know how to recover. They don't know how to sleep. This aspect of this sort of how do we mitigate risk is really the, the word. Injury, again, is too loaded. So how do we mitigate risk? Well, we have to teach everyone and assume that everyone doesn't understand the basics around warm up and cool down and nutrition and hydration, all the things that we know mitigate risk. There is a direct correlation to daylight savings and finals in, in high school athletes and severity of lower extremity injury, right? So if kids don't sleep, and they have uh, you know, finals and additional stress, chances are they're gonna be injured playing soccer. So what we have come to realize at the core value of what CrossFit really is, it's a virtual community, it's an actual community, and where people belong to each other and share best practices, that cycle, emotional, social component to this, where I learn how to eat and model these behaviors, that's just as important to risk mitigation as how do we move better, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, foundation ever, but I mean, people are not going to not want to do the cool stuff. So let's accept that and then do our best to understand that this is going to be a process and that's okay. Could I just add, um, I had a concept, I, I give an injury prevention lecture and I give a concept of coaches can only see so much and do so much. Why can't everybody police our friends? Like we don't want to see anybody get hurt. Why don't we all look at each other and say, you know what, that overhead jerk that you just did, not good. Like, you should back down. Like, don't let the coach be the one to tell somebody. Like, everybody, like, if you see something, say something. Like, like speak up. I, mean, I, th I think that, like, it's not out barbell's there, smoking, sir. <laughs> <laughs> to, to build on Kelly's point that, you know, CrossFit is not just an exercise program. It's really a lifestyle. So incorporating all aspects of that into your exercise program will only help for, uh, prevent injuries in the future as well. So it's understanding all aspects of it. I love that. And I think it, it just brings in this concept of we have our 60 minutes in the gym every day, but there's the other 23 hours of the day and equipping each other, your athletes or each other with the tools to be able to recover well, to eat well, to sleep well, all of those things that play a big role in our injury and pain, all of those things. If I might just add, you know, there's an old video of Nicole Carroll overhead squatting against a guy at, with the Orange County Fire Authority. Yes. And, and Nicole grabs a barbell and starts overhead squatting. And she, the guy has to match him. And then very quickly, you see that he's going to get his butt kicked, right? But he continues on until he actually loses mechanical competency. And what you can see is that he does more and more Jenga to turn his feet out and knees come in and back goes into and shoulders. And he looks like kind of a weird broken rainbow snake trying to go up and down. And I think if we do own some aspect of this conversation, it's that we used to value who went the fastest and the times on the board. And there's a time to test your positions. That's the open. That's how we talk about with our athletes. Okay, we 
who's been training all year round. Let's see how it, your positions hold up under real competition demands, because that's actually the truth. Otherwise, sometimes we get a little comfortable. It's a little step aerobics with weightsy. You know, we love it. I know the steps. I can do this many calories in this minute. But when we only value who did the most work the fastest, and there's no conversation about positional competency, or our athletes don't understand, hey, I've exceeded my ability with load or speed or demand, because we're always going to train until you start to break down. That's the hallmark of intensity. So it's important that we sort of have a double bottom line. The intensity is there. It's important that we can go fast and talk about how much weight you're moving, but also that you are able to manage your positional competency. But if the only thing we value is who went the fastest, that's what we'll get. That's such a great point. And I think to Sean's point earlier about, you know, caring about your friends and calling it out when you see it, I think that can be a hard thing to do, but I think it does come down to the culture that you set in your gym. And that comes from the coaching and what, what kind of movement is acceptable and seeing that role, you know, as a model so that you can feel comfortable and, and the athletes feel comfortable dropping down in weight or changing, um, their workout in order to maintain good positions. So great point. All right, let's dive into some details now. Let's talk about some of the most common types of injuries or incidents, aches and pains that you all have seen in your clinical practice um, among CrossFit athletes. Uh, the most common things that I've seen, certainly uh, lumbar, uh, spine issues, uh, shoulder issues as well. Um, a lot of times, many times when I see the lumbar issues though, um, they're not necessarily a direct result of CrossFit. It's um, that uh, improper uh, movement patterns that develop over time. And then someone bends over to pick up their pants and that's when they, you know, they, they feel the discs go or someone's picking their kid up and that's when the disc goes. So by training those proper mechanics in the gym, it can prevent those injuries from happening in real life. And that's, and that's really usually what I end up seeing, not the direct uh, injury from the exercise itself. Yeah, it's interesting. The injuries that we see mirror the exact same injuries we see in society. So it's 60% low back, 40% extremities. And of those extremities, the majority is going to be shoulder. And most of it is based on the way they've lived their entire life, sitting on a couch, working all day long. Those 23 hours a day, they're not doing the gyms, not doing the stuff, that, or not doing anything at all. Um, exactly like you said, it's, it's not a CrossFit thing. It's a American or human thing. It's a poor movement thing. We started to recognize early on that people who are complaining of shoulder pain or discomfort, when we began to just take the next step, well, what can you control here? Well, we can certainly desensitize that and decongest it. But when we start to ask, well, can you put your arms over your head in a complete way? No, they can't. Okay, well, that's something we can control. And then we were like, hey, you know how many internal rotation? No wonder you throw the barbell around your head and your turnover sucks, right? We, you know, we called that Delta Bravo shoulder a long time ago, right? <laughs> and I, what was really interesting is that we had athletes who became very skilled in nutrition, all these other aspects, even their programming, but didn't under the understand the foundations of what their body should be able to do. And so, you know, for whatever reasons, it's easy for us to end up missing some of these key pieces. So one of the first things that we're trying to do to overturn this, this sort of paradigm of, I don't know why my shoulder hurts, you know, make it go away, doctor, right? That's really what we all want to do is empowering people to understand the components. And what, again, we see the whole depth and breadth because over 15 years, we are people and people are, you know, going to bring in their baggage to the gym. This is the only place where they can solve those problems in real time. Otherwise, it doesn't exist. So let's start with the assumption that you probably are missing these full ranges. I've watched you do pistols before, I know, right? So the, the idea here, I think, is if we can have this conversation back, then 
it's not about what kinds of injuries we're seeing, but what are the common patterns of movement limitation that people are still going through? You would, you would suggest that that could be addressed on a programming level in the gym, just assuming that people generally have these poor movement patterns and addressing it on that level? Well, you know, if we look at someone's programming, we can say, well, you know, have you gone overhead from a front rack position to overhead, from a snatch position to overhead? How are you spending those times overhead? And what we actually see is there are holes in people's programming, right? That even our foundational movements can actually probably be expanded to include things like some hip extension, some shoulder extension. You know, so understand that uh, first and foremost, CrossFit programming is sufficiently robust that we're going to be touching shapes and positions so that you have to be fluent, hang from a bar, being upside down with a dumbbell, with a kettlebell, with a barbell, right? From a snatch, from a, you know, there's so many ways that programming is going to address it. But we ask people come in and imagine if your steering wheel only turned, you know, 50% to the left, you could still drive, not very effectively, but hopefully we're not going to make big turns. That's what's happening a little bit in our gym. And the real question is, who owns that problem? Is that the gym owner? Or can we shift this back burden onto the athlete to say, are you prepared for today's training? Do you understand your movement compensation or limitations so that we can begin to keep you moving? We never, we don't even use the word training and in, in injury, right, or rehab. Rehab is something that happens in the hospital for us. Training around an injury or an orthopedic problem is what happens in the gym. Yeah, I'd also sort of to flip the question around a bit. I've seen patients who are anatomically, their, their joints are so destroyed, but yet they are so functional because they are CrossFitters, because they are, they've maintained their fitness. They are doing things that I would not expect. This is a perfect example of, of that. Um, but in fact, so it's almost the opposite. It's like, yes, people are injured, but it's actually saving people from years of dysfunction. It's also, you know, the very principles of CrossFit are also being used in injury prevention programs now. And they're calling it something else, but it's essentially CrossFit. So I think the, the conversation is, is it's sort of shifting now to looking at that end of it. So I see a lot of uh, shoulders, knees mostly. And the number one thing by far is overuse, tendonitis, overuse. Um, if somebody comes to the uh, office and I can see them when they have three weeks or four weeks of pain, that's an easily correctable modifier activity. Never give anybody the four letter R word called rest. They, <laughs> no one will ever come back to see you as a doctor if you, if you ever say rest. Modify is the big uh, possibility. But then tendonitis, number one. The others are slap tears, labral tears, biceps tears, uh, meniscal tears of the knee. And those are all can be pre-existing. People can have them and it gets exacerbated with CrossFit. Um, and then, you know, usually it's they've tried, they've gone this way. And I'm like, you know, Motel 8. I'll, I'll be there. Come, come see me when you're ready and do, do everything else and see what we can do for you. You know, being on the panel with these three, you know, sometimes I think people who are tastemakers in medicine only see the terminal experience. So how would we define a failed pain problem? Well, I have to go see surgery? Like that's, that's when we're injury? Like, okay, well, how many CrossFitters have gone that far that they are at the knocking on your door versus to your point, you know, we haven't really defined those terms. How many people have come to our gym 
and gotten out of pain or and, and how do we track that? The other thing is we really can have a do a better job as a coaching professional coaching community to be able to communicate what it is we're doing to our physicians and allied healthcare. So there's a real opportunity for coaches to be able to take a first crack at helping someone self-soothe or restore their positions, right? We're really tr- seeing modify. Or, or modify, modify or scale or modify so that with the time they come to their physician, the physician realizes that the CrossFit gym is actually the ally and this person is a really successful patient because they have so many other places, pieces in place. Yeah, too many people are disabled by their diagnosis. They get a diagnosis, they've got a disc herniation. Oh, can't be getting up heavy. No, that's not true. I've got a shoulder tear. I can't lift overhead. That's also not true. And just like Kelly said, if you can work through these things, get stronger, get more functional, those diagnoses, they're not gonna go away. You still take an MRI and you still have a disc herniation, but Are you functional now? Are you strong? Can you maintain that position? Yeah, absolutely. Let's just say we, you know, we probably have like 200 movements in CrossFit we can do. I'm sure the games coaches know a little bit more. You wouldn't speak to that specifically, but not every movement is going to be appropriate for every person. That's okay. I've never seen someone dislocate a shoulder, hernia disc with a PVC pipe. It's not, does, doesn't happen. When we move slowly, we, you know, we have an opportunity to understand and limit range and control, but we regularly, and I can speak to this, you know, I had a bad ski accident, injured my knee and I just started pulling things off, but was still able to do 150 other things. So it's important that we're understanding that this, you know, where are people getting this information and not every person, if you're flying home and you're in the scanner, watch people put their arms over their head. <laughs> let me know how you think that snatch is going to go later on for this person. I usually, I usually do a squat also just to, Shout out to Freddie Camacho's overhead squat right now. This is for you, Freddie. That's so great. And I think a great point, you know, I love Amy's point that we, we don't really have a good measurement. We don't know how many people we are saving from these injuries that they would be getting in everyday life. And like Jason said, most of the injuries that you all are seeing are coming from our everyday life, from sitting at a desk for so many years before starting exercise, all of those other things we're doing outside the gym and probably what we're doing in the gym is actually much more of a benefit, bringing us back to that risk benefit discussion, even when it comes to orthopedics. Um, now CrossFitters are also very into any type of recovery tool, anything that we can do to get an edge, right? So whether it's foam rolling or cryotherapy or, you know, chiropractic PT, any of the things that you guys do, the latest and greatest, um, we want to try all of it, but, I would like to hear from you what things you find to be most effective and um, how to appropriately use all these things to have the best effect. Yeah, we fortunately, we get sent a ton of different tools because people want us to try everything out. And really, the best tool is the one you're going to use. If you don't use it, it can be the most perfect functional tool in the world. But if you don't use it effectively, it's not that great. You could have a okay tool you use really effectively. It's going to be fantastic. So really just with some direction, There's tons of stuff online. You can go to your healthcare provider, find out what areas you need to put that foam roller, that lacrosse ball, the triple lacrosse ball, the vibrating foam roller, all the different options you have out there. (laughs) But use them appropriately and effectively and in the right time, they're extremely effective. But the best product not used well is never going to be very good. Sleep, 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 sleep. Um, Getting enough sleep um, and also getting good quality sleep and also, you know, making sure you're, you're taking that time for yourself 
and not overtraining. It's very important. And, and finding, you know, finding ways to track your quality of sleep, whether that's with a whoop or with whatever, you know, device, but um, making sure the sleep you're getting is enough and it's quality sleep. I'm a huge fan of any tool that empowers a person to make self-soothe or make themselves feel better, or improve their range of motion, right? And there's really excellent data to support the efficacy of these myofascial interventions of, you know, hyperice, tracking it with things like whoop allows people to understand, hey, there is this sleep problem, or I did this intervention and changed the behavior and I was able to handle more strain the next day. So we're starting to get tighter on understanding this. But what we should begin to conversation is, is, is how do I mitigate injury or what's about recovery is, you know, this pain piece, I really want to redefine it in our community. Pain should just be like, if I work out with Amy today, and I crush her, which would obviously happen. Not going to um, happen. <laughs> okay. It's hypothetical. Um, I'm like, and she sucks today. I'm like, what happened? You're like, well, I got in late. I smashed a bunch of pizza. I drank three pitchers of beer. And I'm like, oh, okay. No wonder your wattage is awful, right? I can, we can see those relationships. So let's treat pain as one more metric of lost power, lost wattage, lost output. It's actually a really important signal to tell us what's going on. And of course, if I dropped into, you know, any of these athletes' brains in the middle of a final, I would perish from pain, right? I wouldn't be able, I would just die, you know? So it's really this subjective idea is, are we talking about tissue disruption, right, torn, actual things that you all see, or are we talking about helping people self-soothe on a common experience, which is like, wow, I sucked, my knee's a little sore from this run, that's okay, it's not even a panic level. Just from a, pe people always say with a tendonitis, say, what, what are they allowed to do? How do they modify? What can they do? Tell me what's okay, and I, I just call it the rocket rule of threes, is you can't have pain during the event, of exercise and you shouldn't have pain after the event or the next day. If you're, and again, there's a difference between soreness and pain. Um, and if you can abide by those, a tendonitis will go away on its own. And, and no matter what we all do to it, that's gonna, it will get better. And that's the beauty of the body. The body can heal, it will heal. You just gotta give it a chance sometimes to be a little more uh, aggressive in your non-aggressiveness, so yeah, modification. Many, many times the, the very thing that caused the injury is the thing that will fix it if it's done well. So often people with, like, with back issues, for example, they're like, well, can I squat? And I was like, you absolutely can and you should, but you have to make sure you're doing it correctly, otherwise you're just gonna make your situation worse. So um, fixing the, the actual event that caused the injury often helps you recover from it. I'll just add that people don't realize we already have the tools in our gym and our methodology, it's called tempo. So if we're trying to, uncouple how the brain is perceiving threat or how the brain has become sensitized around tissue trauma or tissue injury or sensitization, slowing down. And then there's other tool called isometrics. Maybe you've heard of them. Those are the two bedrocks of every rehabilitative program on the planet. What, what's the dot com for that? Is it, yeah, right. Isometrics.com. That's right. I don't know. What's the secret sauce here? Well, we're going to go slow and then we're going to pause at the bottom of your front squat. And suddenly people are like, oh, it didn't hurt. We're like, great. Congratulations on already having the tools to, to self-soothe. That's amazing. And I love the concept of using pain as one of those objective measures. You know, maybe not the scale with the happy face and the sad face, but, <laughs> but at least using that the same way that we, we use our whoop or we use other metrics um, to assess our training. Um, all right, let's talk about on a more global scale. How do you think we as a community, community can start to change the perceptions outside the community of CrossFit and its risk so that more people may be more comfortable trying CrossFit. I think part of it is is meeting the 
the medical community kind of where where they're at. Um, so um, exposing um, exposing people to what CrossFit looks like for non-elite athletes. So. Uh, for, for example, with like elderly people, for example, showing how, uh, you know, these kind of programs can help with things like fall prevention and mobility and keeping people independent and, and showing that side of things um, and engaging those communities in this kind of exercise can really be eye opening for a lot of people who have sort of written it off as something for only elite level athletes. I think what you guys are doing is probably the most has the most potential to transform, I guess, health in America right now, because you need to get more people that aren't the super fit, amazing looking people that come out of the CrossFit gym. It's like, yeah, they're just, they're, it's CrossFit. That's what it does. You need more people that have diabetes, more people with hypertension, track that data and then share that with medical community, get them to start pushing those unhealthy people into healthier behaviors. I really, I think it's fantastic what you guys are doing. Uh, as you know, my wife is a family medicine doctor and she has, when she was practicing, had a ton of patients who were able to come off their blood pressure meds, come off their diabetic meds, come off their rheumatoid meds because they were eating better, sleeping better, and exercising. And if I could give that secret sauce to anybody, diet and exercise will cure a lot and is, is a great prescription. Um, and, and I would highly recommend it to anybody who has a chronic medical condition, as long as they're being supervised and uh, doing well and making and checking in with their doctor. And that's the great part too, is that when the doctor sees these numbers that come out, they're like, oh, what are you doing? And they're like, oh, I'm eating well and I'm exercising. I'm like, oh, okay, so that's, that's a good idea. And CrossFit provides the plan, which is so, which is a beautiful part of it. So like we as physicians, we give recommendations, but habits are, are what actually changes health. And in the box, that's, that's the perfect stage to change someone's habits. And it's pretty much laid out, just show up and they'll tell you what to do. I think a lot of times we recommend diet and exercise people are recommending that and patients leave going, okay, well, what do I do? It's like, well, here it is. Just follow exactly what, they're, what they tell you to do and you'll be okay. Sometimes the glacial pace is the breakneck pace. So right before our gym shut down and shuttered, we had a really established adaptive athletics program tied to UCSF. So all the physicians, all the physical therapists would come and we would, they would hand us over their adaptive athletes to train, people who are, weren't appropriate for low-level PT anymore. And those kind of relationships, there's a physio, traditional physio practice next door would refer people back and out. So one is being transparent and welcoming and letting that ride for a decade. It's gonna take a minute to change that. And then I, there's this thing called social media where you can show all your wins and people like to brag and show their abs and, that's really, the proof is in the pudding, but the more transparent we can be, you know, my wife has had bilateral hip replacement. After her first hip replacement, she had JRA as a kid and dysplasia, et cetera, et cetera. She goes back in for the follow-up and the physician's like, wait, 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 we're the same age. Like, what are you, you did what? You ran what race and you did what and you PR'd? And then he joined our gym. So, I mean, that's, that's how we transform it. it. It's okay that it's a grassroots model. Simultaneously, you savages can work from the top down, we'll work from the bottom up. We, uh, we went back to our college reunion, our 25th college reunion, and my wife is in, you know, she's a fit individual. And, uh, and so we show up and, you know, I show up, but you know, not that I'm, you know, anyway. So people, we had like a one Harry met Sally moment. People were like, oh, what, what are you doing? I want some of that. Like, how do, how do I get that? And, and the, we had a panel at our Harvard's 25th reunion on high intensity exercise. So it was, uh, people were curious to hear about what's going on. So. I agree, the word can infiltrate slowly. 
It's so true. The proof is in the pudding. And if we just keep doing it and getting results, people won't be able to ignore it. So that's great. Well, I would love to open this up for some questions from the audience. If anyone has questions for our lovely panelists up here, please raise your hand and Noah will give you. I know somebody's got questions. Don't stand there stone faced. Who's got a question? No question is stupid. I would like just to take one second and address sort of something that's very topical with Simone Biles and some of our athletes is that we can go ahead and add mental health to the CrossFit health panel. Mm -hmm. And we are, and you, you're very much on that, but we know that suicide rates are up. Depression is through the roof right now. People have been separated and culled out of their communities. The brain is only a brain if it's around other brains. And we, I just cannot stress enough how important the gym training community is, even if that's your garage. And that is part of how we're going to get out of this hot mess. Thank you for saying that. That is, that is huge. All right, guys. Who's got questions? Somebody's got a question. Thank you, sir. Look at these media team. Get out of the way. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to get out of the way. Hey, my name's Austin Robbins. Uh, I'm currently in medical school, so research is a big part of my life right now. I was wondering if we have any CrossFit, CrossFit-sponsored research projects. And if so, how can we get involved? Sorry, you asked if CrossFit-sponsored research. So to my knowledge, in the past, CrossFit has given donated money for various small research projects. Um, I don't think... Currently, there is any sponsored research by CrossFit, but I know that that is an area that I think maybe Eric can speak to it. I think that is an area that we want to see more research being done. And I think there is a huge network of researchers and medical professionals who are doing CrossFit who want to see more research so that they have that data and those papers to be able to talk to their colleagues about it. Yeah. Also in the literature, the word CrossFit's a bit of a dirty word. So that's kind of renamed high intensity functional training. So um, often that that might be a way into either seeking funding or writing about CrossFit without saying the word CrossFit, but essentially it's the same thing. So um, looking looking into just calling it something else, but doing the same thing sometimes is, is easier just in the, in the academic world. Great question. Any other questions? Guys, come on, give us more. You have five very educated people up here ready to help us out. Hey, good morning. I'm Michael. I'm Austin's brother, actually. I'm actually a resident physician, so I'm kind of the next step in the medical paradigm. And I, I heard you guys mention it a little bit, but in my experience thus far, when I'm seeing patients who have chronic musculoskeletal conditions that aren't, say, like candidates for surgery or even like candidates for peripheral injections or axial-based injections, you know, usually the thought is, okay, you refer to, to PT. You know, it's kind of just like the thing you do. But in my mind, I'm thinking... Is there like some kind of established model that you guys have, Kelly, you mentioned it, where you had kind of a built-in connection with UCSF, where you had a, a relationship where they knew what you did and they could refer patients to you. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, is there something on a national scale? Is there something that's in the works or is it more kind of on a, you know, kind of a more personal level where you just develop a relationship over time? That would be the dream, I think. I think that's the, I think that ultimately be the goal. So on, on, CrossFit's uh, affiliate finder, there's a, a map of the world and you can find a CrossFit gym anywhere and you can also find CrossFit doctors that have taken their L1s. Uh, and hopefully we can even get every, you know, PT. Hopefully to, soon there will be many more, many more on that map. people yeah. on that map. But, but if you search the affiliate finder map, you'll find people who are affiliated. And 
And a lot of it is who's at your gym, really. Yeah. You know, who's, those are the people who you trust, you work out with every day, you, you go to war with them every day. Those are the people you, you know, their personalities, you know how they, how they interact, so. We've got, we've got a, Arasti is a great resource where you can find practitioners and providers who are in gyms, so have to go to their site. We've done the same thing for physios and chiros and providers on, through our site, we can refer, but we get a lot of blind emails and calls saying, hey, I don't want that TheraBand three sets of 10 for 20 minutes didn't do anything for me. And I say, call your local CrossFit gym and find out who their physio, find out who their chiro is at the gym. That's the place to start. So we've decentralized it and I'm like, it's super easy for me to pull up the map and I don't even have to go further. I'm just like, call the gym and ask them who they're working with because they already have those relationships vetted. And then it's really much easier to have that conversation there. And then one of the very few silver linings that came out of the pandemic was telemedicine, right? It became way more accessible. Everyone has access to it. Uh, everyone built platforms for it. The one area that was probably the biggest struggle was MSK, so musculoskeletal conditions, sprain strains. How do you treat that from a telemedicine standpoint? There's actually a lot of programs out there now. We've got one in 45 states where you can connect with the provider. They do a physical exam through a telemedicine product, and then they ship you tools to specifically treat yourself, educate you, so educate you on no, it's okay if you do this based on your condition, based on this diagnosis, you can do these things and get you back. And what's, what we've seen with that over probably four or 5,000 cases is actually better results sometimes than going into clinic because they have those 23 hours a day that they don't have with you to do it several times a day and their improvement gets much, much better. Yeah, and also sometimes it's a matter of building those relationships up kind of locally for yourself. So even if it's just like having a, a free class for your colleagues so that they get exposed to it. They kind of dispel the myths, um, connecting through, I mean, I find through rehab departments, there are a lot of people who are sort of undercover CrossFitters kind of lurking in those departments. Um, so, and then once the word spreads, you can kind of start to form your own little thing, you know, with the goal of, of bringing it up. So are you saying there's a CrossFit medical cabal? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I've, I've given grand rounds on CrossFit and, uh, and exercise and, and, People are, you know, a little eye-opening, and, and and it generates discussion. That's for sure. And uh, and I think if just like today, we're talking about injuries. You know, if you can talk about it, deal with it, you know, learn how to mitigate, you know, how to decrease your risk. I think that's helpful for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> after so I've I've done similar talks, and then afterwards I'd get emails from people. It's like, hey, I crossfit too, and I can't talk about it. <laughs> so um, it's it's that's becoming less of a thing now. People are more open about it, um, but. You know, it happens. That's hilarious. Uh, I would say, too, just in order to start breaking down these barriers, I think when you practice what you preach and the colleagues that you're working with are going to see how you eat, how you move, they're going to want to know what you do to work out. And so using those as opportunities to maybe do an event at your local affiliate and invite people from work to come check it out. And I've done that before where you have all types of different healthcare professionals that come and check it out and realize, wow, this is actually really great. And it's not that scary and it's hard. And, you know, a few of them might end up starting to do CrossFit themselves. So I think it's those types of things over time, like Kelly was saying, being patient with it, but just exposing people. And we all know it's one thing to talk about it, but stepping foot in the gym and seeing what really goes on there and experiencing it yourself um, is what really gets people hooked. I think there are kind of three levels here. One is that you have this, I need to see a physician because I'm in such severe pain that it's, I'm, it's now a medical emergency because I can't go to work. I need to have an orthopedic surgery or I'm currently training and I need 
I realize I need some professional help. That leaves a whole lot of real estate before these three are actually activated. And we really do have an opportunity to expand the role of the coach and the conversation of what the gym means so that people can manage recovery and take a shot. We've seen for 15 years that if we give people the better tools, they can manage their own musculoskeletal dysfunction, incomplete position, session costs themselves. That's not a surprise at all. That's We just need to do a better job of reaching out into the greater community because it really is much more effective to, to empower people earlier on and to keep the conversation ultimately not about pain, and I keep coming back to this, but about biomotor output. About, it's about biomotor expression. We do these things because we can measure it. You, you rode faster, you did more reps before you fatigued. I mean, whatever the, the metric is, but when we shift this around from pain, no pain, because injuries do happen, right? We're gonna need to see a professional. You're gonna get injured sometimes. You're gonna crash on your bike, break your collarbone. but. For me, the gym is the only safe place in the world. It's the only place where I can control the actual variables, where I can warm you up and I can force you to work on your positions and I can teach you skills and manage that. So if we are still seeing that in the gym, that's a type one error going on underneath the process, right? That, I think we just, we should kind of recalibrate a little bit. I love that. Who else has questions? Yes. All, all right, I'm coming. So I know most of you, but I'm Allison. I'm an oncologist. I have a PhD in exercise and cancer. Um, and I, thinking about this a little bit from the other direction, we've talked a lot about the barriers for healthcare workers learning and not being afraid of CrossFit. But what about the other direction? You know, you have someone who's never exercised or never exercised at high intensity coming into a rehab clinic or, you know, Julia, your primary care clinic. I remember this from when I was a primary care doctor. And the fear of walking into a CrossFit gym is a real thing. Um, it is exceptionally intimidating. And, you know, I think part of this comes from people have watched the games, right? And they haven't seen, you know, to, to many of your point, normal people doing CrossFit. Um, but how do we work on that barrier, right? As people interested and healthcare providers, how do, how do we go at this from the other direction? What a great question. <laughs> Does any, do any of you want to start I'll, I'll that I'll see, one? Uh, you know, so people come to me for hip or knee replacements and, and oftentimes my first thing is what can we do to not do a hip or a knee replacement? How can we avoid that? How, you know, there are risks of knee replacements and, and, uh, and so, you know, number one is how's your diet? I'll talk, I'll sit there. Someone's coming to me for a knee replacement and I'm out talking to them about diet and they're like, what's, what's going on here? And, and sometimes it clicks and sometimes it definitely doesn't. But um, I've, I've had people come back who have lost the weight and they no longer need a knee replacement or a hip replacement. So I think, you know, that, that makes me feel good and, and, uh, and they're certainly grateful that they avoided it. But yeah, it, it's tough. You know, you walk into this gym and weights are flying all over the place and music's playing probably louder than most people have heard on, on their ears. And, uh, so it, it, again, it's probably just going to take time and, and effort. The two things that we, well, one of the things that we are hallmarks of our program is that we can scale and modify for everyone, right? And CrossFit.com has been doing a good job showing some of that modification recently. What, uh, one of the things that 
is so powerful about this community using formal strength conditioning modeling, and I'm talking about real training, is that it's not a correlate. It's a lot of times in the rehabilitative setting or for our physicians, they're speaking Esperanto or classic Greek. And I'm like, you know, you're working on your excellent, like, what is that? And what's amazing about the CrossFit is that when we have people who are detrained or in chronic pain or persistent pain, we have two things we do first for everyone. You have to walk more. 10 one-minute walks, and tomorrow it's 11 one-minute walks, and we have to control your sleep. And those are the two scalable things. That's our number one recovery, you heard that, and our first movement that we can scale and modify to match. So people suddenly are like, oh, I'm in a system that actually continues to scale up. So when we begin to then have people in our programming do things like air squats to a chair or to a high box, they can begin to see that our rehab or low-level scaled model appropriate training actually continues to be a through line all the way up to the games. So they can actually begin to see themselves in the games. But if you get short arc quads and clamshells and like, I don't know how that translates to anything really, right? And that's busy work to keep people from getting DVTs in the hospital room, right? That's what yeah. we've done. So we need to do a better job of helping people realize that this is actually scalable way back and that those foundations, being able to get up off the ground is the number one reason people end up in nursing homes. That's why we do burpees, right? And scale burpees. Plus then they suddenly realize very much that the intensity can come later, but they're actually in a formal movement program. Yeah, keeping, keeping the goals function-based, you know, I often not, I'll ask patients, well, what do you want to be able to do that you're not doing right now? And um, that, that's big in, in helping them kind of see something tangible, you know, with a goal. Um, and then also just, I mean, I, I found that I've had to build relationships locally. And, and, you know, so I know coaches in the area who would work well with someone who's in their 70s or work well with someone with some kind of impairment. So um, part of that is is the onus is on you as the provider to find to make those connections so that you know someone's going to have a good experience when they go to a box. Yeah, and more and more data. Like Amy said earlier, your risk of an injury from running is three times greater than it is from CrossFit, but your benefit is way, way lower. So you're more likely to get hurt, less benefit running. But most people that are terrified to go in a CrossFit box, they'll try running. They'll do the, the couch to 5K. And so we need to change, change their paradigm and make them realize CrossFit's safe. It's more effective. You're probably going to get healthier. You're going to get off your medication. Losing weight is a nice benefit as well, but that's not really the goal. It's to eat better, sleep better, move better, and live healthier. I think the more data they track, the better and easier it's going to be. Also helping them find a community of people like them to help kind of welcome them in and, and so that they can see their, themselves and those people. Yeah, I think that there's a few different layers to this. One is just CrossFit highlighting the stories of people who are you know, not as healthy or who haven't worked out before. And I think that CrossFit does a great job doing that. I know my favorite uh, part of watching the games is always the commercials when they wa they show the 100-year-old doing CrossFit or someone who's you know lost 100 pounds or things like that. Um, and I think more and more of that is happening. And I think that's really helpful. And then I think the other layer to this is all of us as healthcare providers, we are on the front lines of being able to interact with people who really need CrossFit. And so for us to be able to have tools, to be able to, you know, show someone that video of someone who looks just like them, who's doing CrossFit and they can do it and they've gained confidence and regained their health and, um, and their life. And so being able to really help people identify with others who have done CrossFit and then create a safe space for them to do that. Whether it's like Amy said, just knowing the affiliates in your area and who might fit well at different gyms or with different trainers and creating a space where they don't have to walk in to, you know, a huge class of people for their first time doing CrossFit, but they can get that one-on-one -on -one attention and feel 
um, safe. I think that's important too. And then the other thing I will just give a plug for the, the on-ramp, which, um, recently was released, which I think is a great tool to be able to introduce someone to CrossFit in the safety or the comfort of their own home, um, and get some of the best trainers in the world and be able to introduce them to those movements so that hopefully they feel comfortable walking into a CrossFit gym. Very good. Maybe one more question. We, we've got time for one more question. Right. And so that means that Dr. Starrett, you're not allowed to answer. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Fair's fair. Hi, I really appreciate you guys doing this. And I especially appreciate your question. Um, my name is Sandra Zori. I am a pharmacist. And when I went to get my L1, I asked about, um, you know, if, cause I know it's only for physicians and I was, um, my question is about when do you think you'll expand it to include other healthcare providers? Because I ended up getting my L1 on my own. And then, um, a couple of years later, I became a breast cancer survivor and I went and got my adaptive athlete training again on my own. And I, um, I've trained breast cancer survivors uh, locally where I live. And now I just have a bunch of my neighbors come over to work out with me. But I'm wondering at what point are you going to expand it to include people that are more than just physicians or even like physical therapists? And because like I see, well, a lot of patients and a lot of people ask me, because, you know, you're talking about people taking ibuprofen and people taking a leave. And I would try to encourage them to sleep better or work out or just do yoga, you know, just do anything. And it was really hard um, because I'm not, I feel like I, I'm in a very unique place in healthcare, but there wasn't anything that I could do as far as attaching my CrossFit credentials to my healthcare credentials. So I was wondering what you guys were planning on doing as far as expanding it to other healthcare providers. Yes. Thank you for all that question. Thank you for sharing all of that. And for that question, it's a a great question. I'm sorry that um, you had to go off and, and do that on your own, but I would say very, very soon. I don't know if Eric wants to jump in on this, but very, very soon we will be able to incorporate a lot more for all types of healthcare professionals. And that's really, I think our goal is to be very inclusive because like I said, everyone in healthcare is on the front lines of people who really need CrossFit. And we want to be able to create, um, more communication, more bridges between what's happening in the healthcare system, what's happening in the affiliates. Um, and like Kelly said, it's this whole spectrum of, you know, what can a trainer address right there on the spot to when do you need to start escalating that to different professionals? And so that's definitely, uh, our goal. So thank you for asking. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you or someone you know has a story to share on a future episode of Pursuing Health, please write me at info at pursuing-health.com. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, please also consider subscribing and giving it a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does help to get the word out to more people. <music>